Bam 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hello. Welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. That's Lisa. And that's Mr. Stinnett. And I'm Michael Barbero. <laughs> Thank you. Just all the callbacks. Uh, I'm a little bit sick. So... And I'm a little bit rock and roll. Thank you. <laughs> God, I love you so goddamn much. Hello. P.S. We're back, baby. My best friend Sarah said, you guys know that's your reset. We always what? say, I love you. I love you. We say that all the time. We do? We do. Well, it's true, Sarah. It's true, I'm not Sarah. changing a goddamn thing. No, no, no. It wasn't I a bad love thing. You. It wasn't a bad thing. It was like, she's like, she just knows we laugh, we laugh, and then we're like, I love you, moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My sister was always like, there was one episode where you plugged the social media handles three times, and I was like, oh, cool, 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 cool. But you follow us, don't you? She does. Okay. She does. Which, by the way, you can find us on Instagram at Go Help Yourself Podcast. Twitter at GHY Podcast or email us. Go help yourself podcast at gmail.com, baby. They're available to you 24-7. That's right. So in case this is your first time tuning in, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, Secondly, (laughs) this is the podcast where we review a popular self-help book each episode and talk about how we feel about it. Yeah. If you like what you hear, go buy the book and enjoy it. We can't cover it all. Yeah. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Authors are people and no one person is for everyone. (laughs) The point is, we're reading the book so that you can go on enjoying your busy life while still getting that perspective, altering self-help advice you have been wanting. Thank you. Lisa. Yes. We're going to dive right in because this one's a doozy, my friend. I have to be honest. You did text me midweek and said, I am having the hardest time (laughs) listening to this book. Yes, which we will address momentarily. And I was very kind. Do you remember what I replied? I said, said, I'm just so grateful it happened to you. Yeah, she said, I'm so grateful this is happening to you. And do you remember what I replied back? Fuck you. I wrote, fuck off. (laughs) So that's how our interactions went. So this, this week, I am so excited to bring you The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Powerful Lessons in Personal Change by Stephen R. Covey. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was counting. You're welcome. So about the author, uh, and I always like to cite my sources, this is from Wikipedia because on the author's website, which is franklincovey.com. Sure, sure, sure. It was weirdly missing a bio for Stephen Covey. Well, everybody knows who he is. That's right. So I said maybe it's there, but I searched and I couldn't find it. Stephen died in 2012. So maybe they were like, boy, bye, and replaced his bio. He's like, I believe in the Mayan calendar. Yeah, maybe they replaced it with other content. There was a Todd Covey and a Stephen M. R. Covey, but not the Stephen Covey. A Stephen Mr. Covey? It was M. Period. R period. Oh, uh, Stephen. You wise cracking. Okay, keep going, keep going. Okay. So, according to Wikipedia, Thank you. Stephen Richards Covey was born on October 24th, 1932, <coughs> and he died July 16th, 2012. <coughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, because I was in the middle of my sentence, and I thought, she just made a newborn noise. How is she going to make a death noise? <laughs> And there it was. Uh, So he was an American educator, author, businessman, and keynote speaker. 
Covey earned a Bachelor of Science degree in business admin from the University of Utah, an MBA from Harvard Business School, and a Doctor of Religious Education from Brigham Young University. Okay. He was awarded 10 honorary doctorates. Well, that's just because they wanted him to come and speak at the graduation. But, like, ten, like who who else is like, I got 10 PhDs. Uh-huh. Covey was heavily influenced by Peter Drucker and Carl Rogers. Yes. I don't know who they are. Um, big people in, like, strategy. Peter Drucker was big in strategy for business. Oh, great. Great. That makes sense after reading the book. Mm-hmm. Another key influence on his thinking was his study of American self-help books that he did for his doctoral dissertation. And then I wrote in all caps in my notes, does this mean Lisa and I will eventually be featured as two of Time Magazine's most influential people? Let's take bets. I'm going to bet the odds are one in a million. Yes. Uh, but what's funny is I don't even have the note till after that in 1996, Times Magazine named Stephen Covey <laughs> one of the 25 most influential people. You know what's really funny is because my thought was, oh, my God, I want to read his dissertation. Yeah. No, I do. Okay. Because he was a self-help critic, which is what's so exciting about what we're about maybe, to get into. Maybe I love Stephen Covey. Oh, you do? Okay. So a further influence on Covey mm-hmm. was... Um, his beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sure, he's LDS from Utah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yes, this makes sense. According to Clayton Christensen, don't know who that is, The Seven Habits was a secular distillation of Latter-day Saint values. Um, and I I did find that this yes. book— Yes! Is this clicking for you? Yes. Yes. I did find that this book was very secular, whereas The Five Love Languages kind of beats you over the head with his religious views. Um, Gary Chapman, which was episode— seven or something yeah. you, can, you can scroll and find it um it was very secular at the end he he does touch on his religious beliefs and how they guide him but i appreciated that he did not imply throughout the book that you have to be a good person um or to be religious to be a good person i love it which was great um so he was a prof he was a professor at the john m huntsman school of business at utah state university at the time of his death while his most popular book is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, his other books include Spiritual Roots of Human Relations, which he published in the 70s, First Things First, Principle-Centered Leadership, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, The Eighth Habit, and The Leader in Me, How Schools and Parents Around the World Are Inspiring Greatness One Child at a Time. The Eighth Habit, The Outfit That Nuns Keep for Spares. Because everyone knows you have one, one for each day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday. Eighth habit. Thank you. Okay. The Seven Habits was first published in 1989 yep. and has sold over 25 million copies. Okay. Lisa, it was number 10 on the Amazon charts this week. Listen, it's a perfect graduation school gift. Mm-hmm. It's a great um, uh, high school graduation gift. Yeah. It's a huge gift. It's a huge Huge. Nobody buys it for themselves. Everybody buys it for somebody else. Thank you. Uh, this is an enormously popular book. Also, so. think about this. It's an LDS book. Yeah. It's going to be in every LDS home. Copy that. Yep. Copy of that. Oh. So even though Stephen Covey is no longer with us, his company is still active and thriving. Yeah, Franklin Covey makes like calendars and all sorts of organizational all stuff. All sorts of their they consult businesses to help like streamline their leadership. Yeah. I took a quick look at their about us section and their executive team is made up of 11 executives. Sure. All but one vice president are male. Sure. And all of their executives are white. You you better believe it. It's 
just a little something I noticed, which may or may not come up later on. So I'm gonna, the current prices of the book, the hardcover is $20.39. Damn. The paperback is $13.05. Okay. The Kindle is $5.44. Get the Kindle, y'all. That's right. Uh, the audiobook is $23.99. And on the Overdrive app, as always, it's free because they're wonderful. I burped for you. God, I thought there was a tiger in here. Oh, so what does the cover look like? Let me tell you. I think I feel like I'm gonna say from memory. I feel like I know what it looks like. What does it look like? It's white and blue, mm-hmm. and it has the seven. Seven is really big. Yes. Habits of highly affected people. So I, I wrote. There are a few editions. I read the 25th anniversary edition, published in 2013. The original was in 1989. It's blue and white, and only has text, no picture, and has a giant number seven on it. I read. Yeah, it's been around that long. Yeah. It's in every airport bookstore it's an yeah it's ubiquitous yeah so that's how you know you have the right one don't buy that other pesky book claiming the 29 habits of highly effective people no no the seven is what you want sure so lisa ask me how long this book is misty how long is this book this is a 13 hour and five minute audiobook dear god just for just for anybody who's new uh misty doesn't Trust the printed word. She likes to listen to it. That's and, not true. And, I'm I'm an auditory learner. And she is uh, often in her car every day, so it makes perfect sense to listen to the books on uh, Audible. It's a great time to add value to a drive. Listen, you're doing a great job. I just wanted to do a bit about how you didn't trust the Th- printed word. That's right. Thank you. I do trust the printed word, but who has time? So the paperback is 432 pages. Listen, that's what? That's 60 pages a, a habit? That's easy. Oh, my God. So, to give you a frame of reference, the total money makeover. I'm just I, impressed with my math that quick. I love you. The t- Oh, thank you, Sarah. I see what you're saying. God, self-awareness is abundant today. So, um, the total money makeover by Dave Ramsey was three and a half hours. Okay. To give you a frame of reference, this is 13 hours and five minutes. Does the guy just speak slowly? Uh, yes, but even listening to it, I listen to it on 1.75 speed, and you'll uh-huh. hear why, because I'm going to play you two select clips. Is it going to be like Mickey Mouse? Uh, no. Oh. He, then he just oh. talks slightly faster than a normal person, but it's also an incredibly dense book. So okay. when I first picked it up, my uh-huh. first impressions, truthfully, I didn't know what was happening okay. when I started listening to it. The introduction, Lisa, is two hours long. Why didn't you skip that? Because I was worried I was going to miss him. It's the 25th anniversary edition, so that's his time to like update what's happened. Oh. And I don't skip my this this is my job. You're right. This podcast. You're I'm right. not trying to. You're right. Listen, I stuck with it. If it were only me reading it, I would have been like, "Fuck this book." For I'm sure. not finishing it. That's but crazy. A two hour introduction. Two hours. That's long. like a whole movie. Thank you. And it it was filled with so many tangents and anecdotes that I wasn't sure when he was going to start talking about the habits or if he already had and I somehow missed it. So I was very confused when I first started listening to this I'm book. I'm sorry. The introduction is the length of a Hobbit movie. Seven effective Hobbits. Thank you. You're welcome. How long have you has that been brewing in the back of Literally your mind? just 10 seconds. Oh, well, someone's a genius. Moving on. <laughs> Improv, everybody. She's amazing. <laughs> She is amazing, so. (laughs) I'm just jealous, okay? 
This, okay, so the structure of the book. He'll introduce a habit, uh-huh. but then he'll immediately start talking about a bunch of principles related to that habit. Okay. Plus a bunch of examples and stories of how those principles can be applied, both, both personal and in business. So it sounds good in theory, right? But it must be really confusing to well, listen to. Well, I found that the book is so fucking dense with examples that I often didn't remember the habit that he had said at the beginning of the chapter. Um and I, I was trying to will myself to recall what habit we were on sometimes, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Okay. So it was only when he said the you habit. you were willing yourself. I was just like, what is it? I Come just on, picture Misty, you on the 405. What is that? Was, that was. That's accurate. Um, so it was only when he said the habit again at the end of the uh, if each chapter that I went, oh, that's what we've been talking about. <laughs> um, but at the end of each chapter, he does quickly recap all of the things he covers in the section you've just read, which are very helpful reminders um, because I found the book to be a little bit all over the place. Okay. So he covers how to apply these to both personal things and business things. And this may sound great, but if you're only interested in applying these to your family or only interested in applying these things to your business, you're going to be bored for half the book. I mean, God, they really could have started that out and sold two books and made twice as much money. I know, I know. So um, I also found as far as the actual language and reading experience or listening experience was, Mm -hmm. it reads like a college-level textbook. I'm going to play you a clip so you can hear what I mean. Okay. Uh. Satisfaction is a function of expectation as well as realization. And expectation and satisfaction lie in our circle of influence. So rather than focusing on things and time, fourth generation expectations focus on preserving and enhancing relationships and on accomplishing results. In short, on maintaining the PPC balance. Okay. I'm dead. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I really want to give you props for finishing this. Thank book. you. I am so excited to bring you this very distilled uh, this very distilled version. So you can hear how we speak super slowly, yeah. which is why I listened to it on 1.75 times yeah. speed. Yeah. Um, which kept things really exciting. And I'll <laughs> tell you why. Because every now and then the transition between chapters, which is crazy as it is played normal speed would pop up all of a sudden and I would jump in my car every time. (laughs) So let me play you an example of this transition. Okay. (laughs) Were you being abducted by an alien? Okay, so what already is it's a crazy, like, dissonant transition. All but right. when it's on 1.75 speed, I just am like, ah! All right, <laughs> I'm here car. for it. Okay, let's get to the meat of the book. Um, so I'm going to share with you a few foundational things about the book, uh-huh. what the seven habits are, uh-huh. and just a little bit about each of them. I know some of the it. seven habits. Great. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'm going to tell you about them right now. Great. But I think I think the very first thing we want to define is what is effectiveness. So this is the seven habits of highly effective people. Sure. So how does the author define it? Rich. He says, sure, that is effective. He says, effectiveness is the balance of obtaining desirable results with caring for that which produces those results. And he gets that into an equation. What is that equation? He calls it the PPC balance. Yes. And that's PCP. productivity. For, yes. It's just PCP. meth and drugs. Yep. Uh, it's uh, production capability uh-huh. with... Productivity. Yes. 
So there's a balance there. Sure. But, okay. So the seven habits right off the bat. Number one, be proactive. Yep. Number two, begin with the end in mind. Number three, put first things first. Four, think win-win. Five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Uh-huh. Six, synergize. Seven, sharpen the saw. I knew about five, six, and first things first. Mm. Great. You don't need to read the rest. It's fine. So... <laughs> Here's what's really cool. We're going to jump right in. Stephen Covey is a self-help critic. He argues against, uh, so when he was writing this book, and he talks about when he went on sabbatical and um, was putting all this together, he argues, he was reading a lot of self-help books. Uh He argues against what he calls the personality ethic, which he found was prevalent in many modern self-help books in the 1980s. You can think of the personality ethic as shortcuts and easy ways to manipulate situations to get what you want. Sure. Um, and that that reminded me about the charisma myth. Yep. Like, here's how to make a person open up to you in a situation. Here's how to seem more relaxed. Which has been scientifically proven. Yep, that's true. Uh, but it is not a whole internal shift. It's true. just sort of treating the symptom. True. Instead, he says we should focus on character ethic, which is the idea that a person advances on the basis of their character. Rather than quick fixes, the character ethic depends on deep changes within each of us. So characteristics of the personality ethic are things like think positive and believe in yourself, while the character ethic deals with deeper values like integrity, patience, and compassion. So he says character ethic is all about aligning one's values with universal and timeless principles, or at least with what he perceives those to be. Great. Um, He sees principles as external natural laws while values remain internal and subjective. All right. Following me so far. So like you like I might value financial security and you might value quality time more. Those are different values. But they're internal. Right. They're internal and they change. Um, Listen, he's no Eckhart Tolle in the way that he's writing. (laughs) Oh, I actually wrote that he's like the textbook professor version of Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. A little bit. But like he says it and you get it. Yeah. Well, this is also me trying to distill it down. You're doing great. And distilling from summaries also. Said it and forget it. Thank you. Thank you. He said it and I forgot it. Thanks. Said it and forget it. I see what you did there. Mm -hmm. Um, So he says our values govern our behavior while principles ultimately determine the consequences. Sure. So um, that's the first foundational thing, character ethic, personality ethic. He also talks about paradigms and paradigm shifts. Now, here's a little fa- here's a little story I need to tell you. Yes. About three. Here's a little story you need to know, know about three something. With Lisa long ago. Thank you. Okay. Um, my dad said to my brother and I one day, in the in the mid eighties, I need to set you guys down and I need to show you guys something. And he showed us a videotape, a Betamax tape, of a guy explaining what a paradigm was and what a paradigm shift is. Oh and my, my dad was like, This is gonna be really important for your for you to understand how the world moves. And my brother and I were like, This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But also we and my dad was like, We're like, fine, let's spend time with you. Fine, great. But it just I think when you hear that story, you really understand a lot about me. I do. Yeah. And did did learning about paradigms and paradigm shifts help you throughout your life? I mean, I understood the word and I said it. So, yes, immensely. <laughs> but like it was just understanding a concept at an early age. But it was like it was the buzzword at the time, so much so that they made videotapes. I am not it. at all surprised you have an MBA. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you. Um, so paradigms for anybody who wasn't sat down in the mid-1980s. 
by their dad are the mental maps that we use to describe the world around us. Mm -hmm. They are the lens that each of us uses to understand everyone and everything, or what we have been referring to on this podcast as our hermeneutical lens. Do you now? So if I had said paradigm on that very first episode, would you have like understood hermeneutical lens better? Yeah. Great. Um, This is why people who don't experience racism often view the world as not being racist because it's not their paradigm. Hold on a second. Yeah. I just had a brain meltdown. You Did saw you? my face. There's a term that we use in psychology called a heuristic. Okay. Which is, I feel like it's related to hermeneutical lens. Sure. And a heuristic is a shortcut for like how we understand how things work. Mm. So instead of me, every time I walk into a restaurant, having to figure out how it works, I have a heuristic. It's a shortcut. I know that in every restaurant, I tell the person how many in our party, we're seated. I'm given a menu, we order. They bring our food, they bring our bill, we pay and we leave. There's an understanding and a structure. Yeah. That is definitely related to hermeneutical lens from the the Latin, like the the word H E. Like it's it's sure. definitely from there. Hermes, uh-huh. the messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Great, it's all connected. Did you see my face? I was like, yeah. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> the synapse is connected. Yeah, it's interesting because there's so many different ways to describe the thing. That's like this is how we view the world because it's our experience. That's, that's right. basically it. That's right? right. So he says that many of the habits um, that he talks about in the book will require a paradigm shift. Yeah. So paradigm shifts first involve changing the way we th- we see things around us, mm-hmm. then changing the things around us. Covey describes how once he was frustrated in the subway to see the very bad behavior of a man's children, mm-hmm. and he was getting all upset about it, and he finally leaned over to the man and was like, are you going to do something about your kids like jumping all over the subway? And the guy was like, I'm sorry, I just brought them from the hospital. Their mother and my wife died about an hour ago. I guess I should do something about it. And his perspective changed immediately. Right. Right. So that's a paradigm shift. Suddenly he was like totally on board with this guy not doing anything with his kids and have filled with compassion. "Ah, How can I help? Uh, Here's some candy. Seeing things differently. Yeah. So he says the key to maintaining good paradigms is to keep an open mind, be optimistic, and realize that however much we see, there is always more to the story. So I like that already. The tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So in a nutshell, that's what you need to understand to dive into the habits. That didn't take me two hours to say. So habit number one, be proactive. Okay. I'm, I'm a be, little yeah. be proactive. Be, be, be proactive. proactive. Woo. <laughs> you are being very proactive. So be proactive is about taking responsibility for your life. You can't keep blaming everything on your parents or your grandparents. Ugh, but they suck. Pro- no, I don't. We love Vivian. <laughs> Proactive people recognize that they are response-able, right? Responsible, response-able. They don't blame genetics, circumstances, conditions, or conditioning for their behavior. <laughs> they know they chose their behavior. Reactive people, on the other hand, are often affected by the physical environment. They find external sources to blame for their behavior. Yeah. If the weather is good, they feel good. If it isn't... Uh, it affects their attitude and performance, and they blame the weather. Listen, I am humidity sensitive to a very, very high degree. When it is very humid, my body responds in a way in which I have zero energy. And I don't have central air in my apartment. So, you know what? You can call me reactive. You can call me response unable. And I'm fine with that. So, fuck off. Um, I'm going to turn my computer around and show you that I said... Misty is going to patiently wait for Lisa's response to this because (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would jump in there. (laughs) 
Also, this goes back to our criticism of just about every single self-help book we have covered. What about systemic racism? What about institutionalized poverty? And this goes back to this debate about whether or not you, as the individual, are responsible for your life's outcome. Thank you. I really hung on to the whole weather thing and got very upset about it. Well, I did too because I have like mild seasonal affective disorder and it's a real thing. And when it's dark and fucking cold, I get sad. Thank you, Stephen When it gets humid, my body goes, sit down. Yes. Yes. Yes, it says sit down. (laughs) It does. It says sit down. So he says all of these external forces act as stimuli that we respond to, right? So we're not responsible for the stimuli, but we are responsible for For our reaction. reaction. Between the stimulus and the response is a space, and it's your greatest power. Yes. You have the freedom to choose your response. One of the most important things you choose is what you say. Mel your, Robbins would say that's your that's your five, five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Right, yes. right, right, right. Your language is a good indicator of how you see yourself. A proactive person uses proactive language like I can, I will, I prefer, etc. Right. A reactive person uses reactive language. I can't, I have to, if only. Ugh, shut up, Stephen <laughs> Reactive people believe they are not responsible for what they say and do. They have no choice. The humidity made me do it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he says the problems, challenges, and opportunities we face fall into two areas, our circle of concern and our circle of influence. What about the circle of trust? Thank you. Your circle of concern is all of the things that concern and even affect you, but that are out of your control. Sure. Your circle of influence is much smaller. It's the things you can actually control or to which you can make a difference. Okay. He says proactive people focus their efforts on their circle of influence. Sure. They work on the things they can do something about, like health, children, or problems at work, instead of reacting to or worrying about conditions over which they have little or no control. But reactive people focus their efforts in the circle of concern, like on the national debt, terrorism, or the weather. Gaining an awareness of the areas in which we expand our energies is a giant step in becoming proactive. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes. And also, it's a very easy thing for privileged people to do and say, that's not, I don't, that doesn't affect me. Well, and also feeling like, oh my God, climate change is so outside of my circle of influence we all have to start caring caring about it or it's really not going to be influenced. You and know what I mean? We can start caring. We can start carrying reusable straws and bags and yes. containers. And I think I talked about this already, but I use I use um or I used to use cotton rounds to like use my makeup remover or uh my witch hazel or whatever. I switched to reusable and rewashable cotton. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Like like little pads. Yes, I love them. I know, me They're too. so great. And me I too. realize like, oh my God, look how many I'm I've already saved like mm-hmm. 14 trees. So habit number two. Begin with the end in mind. Yes, we are all going to die. Yes. This means to begin each day, task, or project. Knowing we are going to die. That's right. With a clear vision of your desired direction and destination, and then continue by flexing your proactive muscles to make things happen. Okay, I say that. Habit two is based on imagination, the ability to envision in your mind what you cannot at present see with your eyes. It is based on the principle that all things are created twice. There is a mental first creation and once in the world and a physical second creation. So like this, he wants you to vision board. (laughs) Yeah. So like we thought of this podcast and here we are. Yeah. Yes, he does. Well, I think also the vision board is like the mental creation and then the physical. Yeah. Yeah. So he says the physical creation follows the mental just as a building follows a blueprint. 
different. If you don't make a conscious effort to visualize who you are and what you want in life, then you empower other people and circumstances to shape you and your life by default. Mm -hmm. It's about connecting again with your own uniqueness and then defining the personal, moral, and ethical guidelines within you uh, within which you can most happily express and fulfill yourself. One of the best ways to incorporate Habit 2 into your life is to develop a personal mission statement. It focuses on what you want to be and do. It is your plan for success. It reaffirms who you are, puts your goals in focus, and moves your ideas into the real world. Your mission statement makes you the leader of your own life. Is this my homework? You create your your own destiny and secure the future you envision. Uh, Yes, it is. uh, But he has on franklincovey.com, F-R-A-N-K-L-I-N-C-O-V-E-Y.com, he actually has a mission statement builder okay. that will help you like define your values and kind of write it out. Okay. Because he says creating a really personalized, unique mm-hmm, to you mm-hmm. mission statement can take months. I like dogs. Done. Great. Do- <laughs> dog-centric living. Here we go. You know, I, I'm living it. Yeah. And, and also he talks about how your entire company, every single person can be involved in writing the company mission statement. Mm-hmm. You can have a family mission statement. You, you can have a personal mission statement. Too many cooks. Franklin Covey. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. God, I love that. Mm-hmm. So in this chapter, he also walks us through um, the exercise I'm sure a lot of you have heard of, where you imagine what you want people to say at your funeral. And you do this very detailed vision. Oh, she, she died how she lived, writing dinosaurs thank you (laughs) she did what she loved yes well you know would you want people to say lisa was such a kind person she made me feel like they were so such a kind person person. um he says i see yeah so he says this is one way you can identify your own values and begin living your life with the end in mind okay listen this makes sense especially if you grew up in a house or we're not given kind of like how to roadmap into yes, something yes. and you didn't, you just kind of buckshot everything. Yes. This is a great habit. Yes. And he says this also applies to child rearing. So for instance, if you want to keep in mind cultivating the long-term relationship you want with your kids, mm-hmm. rather than just the result you want right now, like forcing them to clean their rooms at the detriment of like a bigger, longer lesson. Or yeah. a better relationship. That's so, why I never make my dogs clean their rooms. I love that. They're like, no, mom, woof. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> They're like, today. my life is rough. <laughs> Listen, you really nailed the tail end of that joke. Ooh, thank you. Because I was trying to think of it, but all I could think of was to pause. That's what I and was going to do next. All right, listen, I'm it's all, all here. I'm it's all, all This is hairy territory. Damn, you were busting it. All right. All right. I defer to you. Okay. (laughs) This is what happens when we record in the daylight. It is. It is. Um, So he has a ton of examples in there. I recommend to read it in that chapter if you're interested in cultivating a mission statement or these. um, Or going online. Like, apparently I will. Thank you. So put first things first. Habit three. So habit one. I've already already forgot. I know. That's what I'm saying. Habit one is be proactive. Be proactive. Number two, two, first things first. Begin with the end in mind. Yep. Habit three, first first things things first. first. Okay, great. There's a lot of first. So be proactive, begin with the end in mind, and first things first. Mm -hmm. So first things first 
is about executing on the most important priorities. Yes. It is living and being driven by the principles you value most, Mm -hmm. not by the agendas and forces surrounding you. Okay. To live a more balanced existence, you have to recognize that not doing everything that comes along is okay. Mm -hmm. There's no need to overextend yourself, Misty. All it takes. (laughs) Wow. That must have been weird when that guy... said that in in your car. (laughs) All it takes is realizing that it's all right to say no when necessary and then focus on your highest priorities, which if you haven't listened to the last minisode, Mm -hmm. that's the thought-provoking question we ask is how do you say no? How do you say no? So um, a high-quality no. This habit is where habits one and two come together. It happens day in and day out, moment by moment. It deals with many of the questions addressed in the field of time management, but that's not all it's about. Habit three is about life management as well. Your purpose, values, roles, and priorities. What are first things? First things are those things you, personally, find of most worth. If you put first things first, you are organizing and managing time and events according to the personal priorities you established and habit to. So if family's your thing, you're going to choose family even when work crises come up over the weekend, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If work is first, you're going to prioritize work over everything else. So it's Assuming all about you your have own. control. Assuming that you're able to choose. That's right. So it's all about your own. Exactly. There's a lot of privilege and leadership, like leadership privilege in this book, Mm -hmm. um, which we will address. I have a feeling this book was written originally for like C-suite and management. Uh, Yeah, I think so. And then just expanded. Yeah. And also he went to Harvard Business School. So Mm -hmm. this is like high level elite management, Mm -hmm. not like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm an employee in a retail store, Mm -hmm. you know. So this chapter talks a ton about this quadrant matrix of how to like categorize your priorities and which quadrant are you living in mm. and sort of like backtrack. I know, sexy, sexy stuff. We're in the matrix, man. Oh my God. Um, and it goes into so much detail about how to schedule your week and be more efficient. So please read this chapter if you want to know more or go to the website, franklincovey.com. this was written before email was a thing. Yes, and watch the video they have about weekly planning if you want on their website. But this chapter was so boring to me and I will play you a clip why 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 would you do that to me quadrant one no on the top write the word urgent no to the left of quadrant one write the word important no above quadrant two write the words not urgent are you dying because I am dying so urgent would deal with both quadrants I can't one listen to three. anything he's saying about so, urgency when he's talking like he's pulling taffy. Well, also, that's why I said he's like the Eckhart Tolle of like professors because literally this quadrant shit goes on for like 40 minutes Wait, in this is chapter. is he reading this? Yes, Stephen Covey is <laughs> reading it. Oh, no, I did not put that together. That is Stephen Covey. So I just want to say, everyone, you are welcome okay. for reading this book. I did it because I love you and only because I love you. Anyway, so... That's habit three. Put first things first. And also, a picture's worth a thousand words. You can just look at this four-celled quadrant and just know. You can know in about four seconds what the fuck he's talking about. Habit four, think win-win. Work effectively with others to achieve optimal results. Uh, this nothing is, uh, nothing is groundbreaking. Oh, here's the other thing. I should have said this up top. He says this several times in the books. These are not any of his principles. He did not author them, and he does not take or credit for them, right? But he's he, just 
he's grouping them into yes, seven. Yes, he says he has like studied these are the seven things that make people very effective. And so he's putting them together. So he acknowledges they're not groundbreaking or brand new. So I guess I do a lot of these naturally. And so do you. Oh, yeah. We think with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. We are proactive. Yeah. We, uh, we do think win-win. I could think with the end in mind more. I do get caught up in minutiae for sure. Yeah, but at least you do think with the end in mind. Yeah, yeah. I do zoom out I think a some lot. people don't. Some, we know lots of people who just sure. have an idea and never execute on anything. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'm like medium effective. <laughs> I'm, like, so we, I'm like the four habits of moderately effective. I'm like influence-ish. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay. So uh, think win-win. Work effectively with others to achieve optimal results. Think win-win isn't about being nice, nor is it a quick fix technique. It is a character-based code for human interaction and collaboration. Most of us learn to base our self-worth on comparisons and competition. We think about succeeding in terms of someone else failing. That is, if I win, you lose. Or if you win, I lose. A zero-sum game. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Literally, life becomes a zero-sum game. Oh, my God. Am I I Stephen Covey? You, Stephen? It's me. <laughs> Take off my mask. I would have gotten away, away from with it if it weren't for those pesky kids. Uh, you're like, I've been in Lisa's body for seven years. Oh, Lord. There's, um, he says, there's only so much pie to go around. And if you get a big piece, there's less for me. It's not fair. And I'm going to make sure you don't get any more. Well, we, we can expand the pie. We all play the game. But how much fun is it really? He, he quandaries. Oh, Win-win sees life as a cooperative arena, not a competitive one. Win-win is a frame of mind and heart that constantly seeks mutual benefit in all human interactions. Win-win means agreements or solutions are mutually beneficial and satisfying. We both get to eat the pie and it tastes pretty darn good. Damn. (laughs) A person or organization that approaches conflicts with a win-win attitude possesses three vital character traits. One. Integrity. Two. Maturity. Three. Abundance mentality. I'm going to expand on each of those. Okay. Integrity. Sticking with your true feelings, values, and commitments. Abundance mentality. Uh, Believing there is plenty for everyone. And the third one. Your favorite, what you embody always, maturity. (laughs) Expressing your ideas and feelings with courage and consideration. No wonder I couldn't remember it. (laughs) Expressing your ideas and feelings with courage and consideration for the ideas and feelings of others. To go for win-win, you not only have to be... empathic but you also have to be confident you not only have to be considerate and sensitive you also have to be brave to do that to achieve that balance between courage and consideration is the essence of real maturity and is fundamental to win-win and then i have a few notes so my two biggest criticisms of this chapter is he talks about a bunch of different scenarios. So win-lose, lose-lose, win-win, and win-win or no deal. Sometimes if you can't do win-win, you just don't make a deal, right? That was my favorite reality show. Win-win or deal. Win-win or no deal. That's right. Win-win or no deal. Meghan Markle won all of the wins. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, here's what's problematic. First, you can only participate in win-win or no deal if you have the financial security to walk away from a deal. Yeah. Right? If, if you're like, oh no, like my business goes under if I don't make this deal. Right. You're going to make any fucking deal you have to make. That's right. Um, this is not an option for everyone. Secondly, all of his examples imply a perceived equality between the individuals involved. 
But what happens when there's a perceived inequality? What if you're a person of color trying to negotiate with a room full of racists? How are you ever supposed to achieve your desired results? Win-win, baby. Right? Wait, oh, just win-win. I'll just make you respect me somehow. Mm. Like, So this is one of the places in the book that felt rife with white male privilege yeah. and did not acknowledge the systemic oppression that marginalized groups face. Yeah. And this was written in 1989, and we have come a long way with our cultural dialogue about these problems since then but it really bothered me in this chapter they're still printing it without any caveat yeah because like and I was waiting till the end to say this but like this book is perfect for you if you're a white businessman Mm -hmm. but other than that it's like you can apply some of the things or maybe some things will resonate with you but it's like the the uh, the successful white man's manual Mm -hmm. um so uh one of his his example SWMM thank you thank you the swim the swim uh, so one example is like Lisa say your, his example was his wife's mother is sick mm-hmm. and his wife wants to go visit her during the two weeks they have planned for a family fishing trip. Mm-hmm. And so the dad is like, well, wait a second. Our family is what I prioritize. Yeah, and your wife's mother is family. Right. But he's but it's a really nuanced example because he's like, well, this is. Yeah. Well, your sister lives one block away from her. Why do you have to go do it? Can't we visit her after the trip? Or, you know, like you can, he sets it up so that you can see why both people feel the way they do. And so if she goes and visits anyway, the husband's going to resent that she wasn't there and maybe the kids too. And if they all go with her, they'll all resent that they couldn't go on the fishing trip, that kind of thing. So when you're thinking win-win, you're thinking, okay, can we find a place that is another place to camp that's close to her mother so everybody can do everything they want to do? Everybody wins, right? So there's this third solution that's better than either of the two that you were looking at before. Mm-hmm. So that is a highly condensed version of that example, but Thank it really you. is more nuanced. I call that expanding the pie. I love that. Mm-hmm. Or baking. Thank you. So habit five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Mm-hmm. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Communication is the most important skill in life. You spend years learning how to read and write and years learning how to speak. But what about listening? What training have you had that enables you to listen so you really deeply understand another human being? Probably none, right? If you're like most people, you probably seek first to be understood. You want to get your point across, and in doing so, you may ignore the other person completely, pretend that you're listening, selectively hear only certain parts of the conversation, or attentively focus on only the words being said but miss the meaning entirely. So why does this happen? Because most people listen with the intent to reply, not to understand. You listen to yourself as you prepare in your mind what you are going to say, the questions you are going to ask, etc. You filter everything you hear through your life experiences, your frame of reference. You check what you hear against your autobiography and see how it measures up. And consequently, you decide prematurely that the other person means before he or she finishes communicating. Do any of the following sound familiar? Mm. Um, yes, but only because I used to travel around the world teaching people how to listen. Sounds like you're answering through your autobiography right now. So, Ooh. because you often, because you so often listen autobiographically, you tend to respond in one of four ways. Evaluating, you judge and then either agree or disagree. Probing, you ask questions from your own frame of reference. Advising, you give counsel advice and solutions to problems. Interpreting, you analyze others' motives and behaviors based on your own experiences, which is this entire podcast. 
Uh, you might be saying, hey, now wait a minute. I'm just trying to relate to the person by drawing on my own experiences. Is that so bad? In some situations, autobiographical responses may be appropriate, such as when another person specifically asks for help from your point of view or when there is already a very high level of trust in the relationship. Um, how does that sound so far? Is this resonating with you as someone who has a lot of training in listening? Yes. And I feel like he's overqualifying it and like... Yeah, that's fine. Okay, it's great. Yeah, I, I did mean, think we it, all resonate. It, it resonates yeah. with us, but then he's like, "Then I'm going to quantify it, right?" And also, I do. I did think it was interesting. He was like, "How many people do you know that have had more than two weeks of training of how to really listen to a person?" And I do think that's interesting because we don't really listen to each other as a society and we're not trained to. So this is where I had a big problem with this section. It wasn't about his techniques or how to listen better or reflect back what the other person is saying. And by the way, he does walk you through a lot of ways to listen better. So if you're curious, I recommend um, diving into this chapter. I found all of that useful. But what did bother me is that in a few places in the book, he implies that you can get a person to do what you want just by listening to them. Manipulate them. Well, he's saying don't manipulate them, but then he gives all these examples of, look, if you just listen to a person, they're going to come to the conclusion you wanted them to come to on their own. So a lot of his examples feel super contrived and convenient because he has a lot of example dialogues. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like he's living in this like Pleasantville version of reality. Mm -hmm. So he uses the example of a son who tells his dad he doesn't want to finish school. And first he walks us through the wrong way to listen. The The dad basically says to the son, you don't know how good school is for you or how hard your mother and I worked to pay for that school. Here's how it was when I was in school. And the the kid just shuts down. Then he shows us the supposed right way to listen where the dad keeps reflecting back to what the son is saying. Like the son's like, school's not worth anything. And he's like, I'm hearing you're frustrated with school and you don't think it's worthwhile, right? He's just reflecting it back. And in this super contrived dialogue, dad, can I talk to you for a second? Son, I'm hearing you'd like to get something off your chest. Yeah. Listen, first of all, I'm realizing that my voice sounds really young, but I graduated high school early, as you know. I graduated high school at 12, and I enrolled in Harvard Medicine at 13. Son, I'm hearing that you're feeling self-conscious about your voice and that you're smart as shit. Yeah, you're right. I am. My testicles have not dropped, and neither has my voice. But beside the point, I hate school, and I want to quit. Son, I'm feeling like you might be interested in getting some testicle advice from someone, and I'm hearing, like, you don't see a lot of value in school. I feel like you're on a broken record, Dad, and the last person I want testicle advice is from you, okay? I'm feeling like you're frustrated with me right now. Yeah, I'm frustrated with my nuts, Dad, but I don't want to talk about that. I'm quitting school, and there's nothing you can say that will make me feel better. I'm feeling like you want to keep talking about your nuts. Dad, I feel like you have a lot of feelings you want to talk about. So let's just turn this into you, as we always do. Yeah. So, like, that's what it feels like, right, to have mm-hmm. your things reflected back at you. And I, I can see how maybe it's effective for a young kid, but, like, it drives me fucking nuts when people do that to me. Yeah. It's one thing to go, like, oh, yeah, that sucks. I hear you. I feel you. And kind of reflect it back. But when you're literally parroting the words I'm saying, it's, it's I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess it sounds like you just got really frustrated in this chapter. Oh, my God. Stop it. <laughs> Oh, my God. I hate it. So so he shows us this supposed right way to listen. And in this super contrived dialogue. Yeah, well, it's easy to say that it'll come out that way. Well, th- in this contrived dialogue, the son guides himself to his own epiphany that he's really insecure about his reading level and needs to get tutored and is even willing to give up his after school activities in order to do so. Listen, 
that's never going to happen. That's but, what I'm saying. But and it, also, it, I, there is value. I mean, and that's what a therapist yes, does, right? Yes. But a therapist is a is a non biased third party without an agenda. Yes. And and a father can never be that. That's right. But it it just felt it didn't feel the examples he gave did yeah, not sure. feel realistic. Sure. And but I did like the techniques for active listening for sure. sure. And the examples in this chapter felt very confusing because he would he was using about just how unconditional love and listening to people can really open them up. But then the reward was like this unconditional love will lead them to the things you wanted your children to do first on conditions anyway. So it's very confusing. Um, So yeah. So that's how, that's what it feels like when you reflect it back to each other. So habit six, synergize, innovate and problem solve with those who have a different point of view. To put it simply, synergy means two heads are better than one. Synergize is the habit of creative cooperation. It is teamwork, open-mindedness, and the adventure of finding new solutions to old problems. But it doesn't just happen on its own. It's a process, and through that process, people bring all their personal experiences and expertise to the table. Together, they can produce far better results than they could have individually. Synergy lets us discover jointly things we are much less likely to discover by ourselves. It's the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Synergy is not the same as compromise. In a compromise, one plus one equals one and a half at best. But in synergy, one plus one equals three or six or 60 you name it when you when 600 great to keep going i named it 6000 60000 600000 600 million <laughs> 600 billion thousand when people begin to interact together genuinely uh, and they're open to each other's influence, they begin to gain new insight. The capability of inventing new approaches is increased exponentially because of differences. I keep like I feel like he keeps saying the same thing. Yeah, over. basically he's just saying when you work with people who see things differently than right. you do, right. you gain uh, – he's basically making a case for diversity. Exactly. Okay, great. Cool. So valuing differences is what really drives synergy. Do you truly value the mental, emotional, and psychological differences among people? Or do you wish everyone – would just agree with you so you could all get along. Many people mistake uniformity for unity, sameness for oneness. One word, boring. Differences should be seen as strengths, not weaknesses. They add zest to life. So he says, you know you're in synergy when you have a change of heart. Your periods line up. I wonder if ours are. You have a change of heart. Mm -hmm. Your periods line up. Mm -hmm. You feel new energy and excitement. Mm -hmm. You see things in a new way. Mm -hmm. You feel that the relationship has transformed. Mm -hmm. And you end up with an idea or a result that is better than what either of you started with, also known as the third alternative. I'm going to have you reread that list with the idea of me coming to the realization that my boyfriend is a piece of shit and I need to break up with him. Lisa, you know you're in synergy. Yep. Okay. When you have a change of heart. Uh Uh-huh. I realize he's a piece of shit. When you feel new energy and excitement. I'm going to kick his ass to the curb. When you see things in a new way. I can't believe I didn't see it all along. When you feel that the relationship has transformed. (laughs) Yeah, it has. I'm about to dump his ass. That's right. And you end up with an idea or a result that is better than what either of you started with. Yeah, we started together and now we're apart. Thank you. You know what? How was that? That was good. That list is very vague and specific at the same time. This yes. book would have made me bananas. It's a little bananas, but he does have a ton of examples. I mean, remember, it's 13 hours and five minutes long. I, God bless you. So You did the Lord's work. Thank you. God bless. God bless. God bless. God bless you. Uh, habit number seven, sharpen the saw. Why wouldn't you not? 
He yeah, says, a dull saw does nothing but make it difficult to cut through that's bone. That's right. And he uses this metaphor of we must never become too busy sawing to take time to sharpen the saw. Seek continuous improvement and renewal professionally and personally. Sharpen the saw means preserving and enhancing the greatest asset you have. You. My asset. Your butt. It's yes. butt work. Butt it's like work. basic I'm butt work. I'm doing butt cl- clenches right now. Squats. Squeezes. Lunges. Prying open a little. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the cheeks, but you do what you want with them. That's what I was thinking. Air it out. Great. Uh, <laughs> sharpen the saw means preserving and enhancing the greatest asset you have. You. It means having a balanced program for self-renewal in the four areas of your life. Uh-huh. Physical, uh-huh. social, emotional, uh-huh. Uh-huh. mental, uh-huh. and spiritual. Uh-huh. Here are some examples of these activities. Well, I mean, uh, let me, let me, uh, physical exercise. Listen, he literally explains to us what exercise is. I don't think we, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say our listeners are way more advanced. Thank you. I think everyone was, and it wasn't even in like a mansplainy way. It was just in like a very textbook your, didactic your way. Your max heart rate of 220 minus your age times 0.6 is what you want your heart rate to be Shut for up. at least 30 minutes. Okay. Shut up. So, <laughs> thank you. So, acti- examples of activities for renewal. Physical. Beneficial eating, exercising, and resting. Social-emotional, making social and meaningful connections with others. Mental, learning, reading, writing, and teaching. Spiritual, spending time in nature, expanding spiritual self through meditation, music, art, prayer, or service. Renewal is the principle and the process that empowers us to move on an upward spiral of growth and change of continuous improvement. Sharpen that soul! That's right. It's funny. It's like a very violent metaphor for something so nice. As you renew yourself in each of the four areas, you create growth and change in your life. Sharpen the saw keeps you fresh so you can continue to practice the other six habits. You increase your capacity to produce and handle the challenges around you. Without this renewal, the body becomes weak, the mind mechanical, the the emotions raw, the spirit insensitive, and the person selfish. Not a pretty picture, is it? And he says, feeling good doesn't just happen. Living a life in balance means taking the necessary time to renew yourself. It's all up to you. You can renew yourself through relaxation or you can totally burn yourself out by overdoing everything. You can pamper yourself mentally or spiritually or you can go through life oblivious to your well-being. You can experience vibrant energy or you can procrastinate and miss out on the benefits of good health and exercise. You can revitalize yourself and face a new day in peace and harmony or you can wake up in the morning full of apathy because your get up and go has got up and gone. Just remember that every day provides a new opportunity for a renewal, a new opportunity to recharge yourself instead of hitting the wall. All it takes is the desire, knowledge, and skill. Shut up, Stephen Covey. I will say, I I loved that he touched on this, and it's something, I mean, I find that everything he's saying resonates as true with me. Yeah, but because it's not groundbreaking. It's not. It's just like, you've got to fill your cup up, or like, you've got to charge your batteries, yeah. right? Yeah, so okay, cool. Great. Those so are the seven true. habits. That's the seven habits. Oh my God. Great job, Missy. Thank you. So that's the seven habits of highly effective people, powerful lessons in personal change by Stephen R. Covey. Pormth. Again, the Pormth. This book is so dense and covers so much more than I've presented here. So if you want to read it for yourself, it's available on audible.com, the free library app, Overdrive, and wherever books are sold. But why would you? And again, the author's website is franklincovey.com. If you'd like to watch some of the videos they have explaining some of these concepts or see helpful diagrams, and I recommend you do that unless you were like, I want to soak up every goddamn one of his like thousands of words. I recommend you don't. Hey, Misty, I have a few questions for you. What do you think the author got right? 
I, uh, that's a great question. I, what I really liked was um, that defining your principles and values Mm -hmm. and basing all of your decisions off of that actually sounds very freeing Mm -hmm. because it seems like if you are making choices based on your principles, you're never going to go, oh shit, should I have left that job or should I have left that person? Like it it actually, it seems like it takes a lot of indecision out of your life and gives you the freedom. I thought you were going to say, oh shit, should I have left the stove on? (laughs) No, thank you. And I say yes. I say... My principle was to burn that motherfucker down. It just as long as no one else is around and all your pets are out and oh, you have insurance. In my mind, the stove was the patriarchy. Yeah, oh, the, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. We're doing that. What? But I agree. That's not that. That's a nice way. We don't. We don't hear a lot about that. Uh, kind of like over, like fifty thousand foot overarching principle. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, cool. yeah. But I love that because I don't think. I, I have never taken the time to go, what do I, I'm still discovering it. Like, I know I value community. Yeah. So that's, that's really helpful to know. Oh, I can lean away from things that won't give me that. And I can spend my time on things that will. Yeah. So that actually sounds like it would give me a lot of freedom to go, no, I know what jives with my values and my mission statement. Yeah. And I also really love this idea of a family mission statement. Like Mm -hmm. having, having this idea that your kids and your partner or your cousins or your sisters or whatever and brothers can all have one thing they've all helped shape that you can all live by just seems cool. It used to be like a, a, a shield or an emblem, you know, yeah. that each thing had a meaning. Yeah, yeah. And and you can, he, you know, you can adjust it as people grow and yeah. things go by. But if it's all about like, we put each other first and we're always kind to each other like that. Mm. If everybody knows that's gross. what's around. What a yeah. gross family. Right. What do you feel like the author got wrong? I, yeah, I think I have an oh idea of what God. you're Oh my God. Okay, say. so I, this is just my opinion. But I feel that this is presented in such an inaccessible way. Sure. You all heard about one full minute of clips from yeah. this book. It's 13 hours of that. Yeah. Um, it's too goddamn long. Yeah. And it does not take into account any marginalized groups. No. Even the section about exercising was like, you got to get up and walk for 30 minutes a day to like da 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 what about people who are not considered able-bodied people? And it's not till the very, very end that he says hey, these are really hard principles to live by and I struggle with them every day. Like these challenges are things I'm trying to live up to and no one's perfect and it's not going to be easy. So he really presents this sort of pleasant veil. This is exactly how it goes, but doesn't talk about the struggle of it. And I I think, again, like, I don't want to talk it to death, but Mark Manson's book says like, these are all fucking hard from the start. Yeah. No one's perfect. I'm not doing this well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just gives a freedom of like, cool, this is something I can aspire to, not this, not having a running, oh, fuck, I'm fucking this up dialogue yeah. as I'm listening to this book. Um, I'm going to answer, it's 100% Practical Patty. Yes. Um, And then who is this book perfect for? This book is particularly great for white businessmen. Thank you. And it's terrible. went to Harvard. <laughs> yes. And it's terrible for anyone who doesn't have a spare 13 hours to listen to an audiobook. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, do you have a listener challenge that we already kind of identified? And yes, what is my I homework? I do. So I, I, um, I want you to go to uh, Franklin Covey. Oh, sorry. It's msb.franklincovey.com. And that stands for mission statement builder. Great. Franklincovey.com. C-O-V-E-Y. And I want you to create your own mission statement. So, um, you can build one for your family and your dogs, um, or you can build one for a business 
or for your own personal one. And I'm going to do that too because that's something that I didn't. I spent so much time reading the book, I didn't get to really implement that. Let's do but, it. So I'm self I'm self assigning myself homework too. I love it. Yeah, and so. Um, before we go, I just want to shout out to Jamila Jamil from The Good Place. She's an actress. She plays Tahani. Mm-hmm. She started an incredible movement called I Way, mm-hmm. W-E-I-G-H. Yeah. And it fights against the toxic messaging we all receive about our bodies. And um, the Instagram page uh, says, hi, I'm Jamila Jamil official, and this is my um, at I underscore way movement for us to feel valuable and see how amazing we are beyond the flesh on our bones. Yeah. Um, so please visit at I underscore way for some really wonderful content that focuses on who we are as people and how we value ourselves outside of how we look. She also has, oh my God, Lisa, this incredible interview on her YouTube page with She's singer incredible. Sam Smith yeah. um, where he talks about fame being non-gender binary body image issues he struggled with and more. It's so beautiful. I love it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And just just as a quick like yeah. uh, overarching. So the I weigh movement is instead of saying I weigh and fill in the blank in terms of what the Numbers, scale is, yeah. you would say like I weigh a fun podcast with my friend, yeah. two glorious dogs, a cool community. Like yeah. the things that you value versus the value that somebody might assess. I or weigh an amazing you. relationship with my grandmother. Exactly. I yeah, yeah. So it's it's so fucking great. Yeah, and I'm really so cool. glad it's and out people there. post it. People post theirs and then she reposts as well. Yeah, it's really so nice. at I underscore way on yeah. Instagram. Can't recommend it enough. Thank you so much. And if you've read this book and you love these habits, please let us know. If you hate this book, let us know. The reviews on Amazon were very, very mixed. People either loved them, loved it or hated it. And I texted Lisa a picture of one that was like, this is no more than overinflated balloon juice. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. Um, so let us know if you thought it was balloon juice or if you think there's value in Misty, it. Misty, thanks for condensing 13 hours down into just about one. Nice work. Lisa, thank you for infusing this with humor. Well, this podcast would be nothing without listen, you. Listen, I start with the end in mind. Thank and you. And I am proactive. And it's a win-win. And life is a buendent. <laughs> Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at GHY Podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.